0: Good evening. I'll go ahead and open to the book of Psalms. We're going to talk about politics tonight. Just hearing that just is an encouragement, isn't it? It just <laughs> blesses us to hear about that this, I mean, this year, I mean, how long has it been? It's always politics. But really, hopefully, Lord willing, um, we are in a sense, but hopefully it's something that will lift us above politics, lift us above that to see um, a greater scheme of things that's taking place. And really, along the lines of what Dick read in Psalm 33 um, is what we're going to be looking at. Um, this evening in Psalm 1 and 2, specifically Psalm 2, but um, how the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. And so just keeping in perspective um, world events, uh, keeping in, in perspective uh, kingdoms, nations, uh, things taking place right now uh, in our country. Um, I think Psalm, as we look at this Psalm, chapter 2, um, will help us to keep things in perspective and not just keep things in perspective, but will encourage us. Um, just as when we look at things just on a, a merely um, horizontal level, is very discouraging. It's very frustrating. Um, it's, it's very sickening. Um, of what we see and hear just on a constant basis, um, the lies um, I mean just so much of it is is all that just said. but we can find encouragement when we come to god 's word and we see that God has a plan that is unfolding in all of this, despite all that we see. And here, taking place. And I was wondering here um, if we could get some help reading. I'd like to have read Psalm 1 and 2. Um, Oftentimes these psalms are seen as introductory um, to the entire book of psalms. Uh, Let me just read you what Spurgeon said in regards to Psalm 1 and 2. He said, the first psalm was a contrast between the righteous and the sinner, The second psalm is a contrast between the world's disobedience and the sure exaltation of the righteous Son of God. In the first psalm, we see the wicked driven like chaff. In the second psalm, we see them dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. In the first psalm, we see the righteous like a tree planted by the rivers of water. In the second psalm, we contemplate Christ, the covenant head of the righteous made better than a tree planted by the rivers of water. He is made king of all the islands. The nations bow before him and kiss the dust, while Jesus gives a blessing to all who trust in him. So if I could have some help, maybe if someone would read Psalm 1. Would someone do that? Tom? Mark will bring the mic up. And then would someone read Psalm 2? And then Mike, right behind you, will read it. Psalm 2. Okay.
1: okay, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, nor in all, that he do, in, in all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thank you. Is, is it okay? I have a New King James Version? Yeah. Okay. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces, or two pieces, like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him.
0: Well, just a few other thoughts on the relationship here of Psalm 1 and 2. Notice in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says that, or actually um, in verse 2, how the blessed man, he meditates. And then in contrast, in chapter 2, verse 1, the peoples, they devise, that's the same word, a vain thing. They meditate, a vain thing. Psalm 1, verse 1, it begins with blessedness, the pronouncement there of how blessed are the, truly the happinesses of the man. This is the true um, true happinesses here. And then in chapter 2, in verse 12, it ends with that Blessed pronouncement there. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him, in God. So, a big part of these Psalms is reminding and encouraging the believer on the path of blessedness, of happiness, of true happiness. They are keeping us oriented rightly as we process the world around us, as we go this pilgrim way. These act as an anchor. For us, Notice contrasting here as we read, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 contrast the wicked and the righteous. And uh, we know from Scripture and I know um, even from our uh, own lives and our own experience that there is, a, there is a temptation, there is a draw to the world around us of even of, of coveting or envying things that we see out there in the world as we see uh, from uh, individuals or what they have who are not following God. Mary in Psalm seventy three, the Psalmist really dealt with this and struggled with this. He said, My steps had almost slipped in verses two through five. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat, they are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. In Proverbs twenty four, nineteen it says this do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked. I mean this is a real temptation for pilgrims on the way to look around us and say, man, isn't their life looks easier? Their life looks better. And here I am I'm doing all these things seeking to please the Lord and this is what's going on in my life now. Well, here is Psalm 1 and 2. We have standing at the, at the beginning of this book of Psalms. These two chapters act as an anchor for reality, to help God's people remain on the path of blessing and not to yield to the never-ending pressures of individuals and nations to go along with them in their own way. So anchors to keep us on the path of true blessing blessedness, true happiness. It's right here. And specifically, Psalm 2 reminds us of the unstoppable reality of the coming kingdom of God. And that if we are part of this kingdom, then we must work to keep our mind and affections on that kingdom. And if we are part of that kingdom, then we are to live as people of that kingdom and not of this kingdom that stands condemned in Psalm 2. And really, as we uh, read this psalm and and, uh, considering, it's going to talk about the, the kingdom of God, his anointed king. I mean, this is what Christ taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, looking for his kingdom, the kingdom that we are a part of. So as we look at Psalms 2, We're going to just find some truths here that will help anchor us in the reality of God's everlasting kingdom and to keep on that path of blessedness, of happiness, true happiness. Now, the first thing in verses 1 through 3 is just the reality that nations and people fight against God. Look what he says here in verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? And he goes on to say the kings of the earth, they take their stand and the rulers take counsel together. And we see here at the end of verse 2 why this is a vain thing. Who are they standing against? It's the Lord and against his anointed. Okay, what is the vain thing here that they are seeking to do? Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. This is what they are planning. This is what they are wanting. They're wanting to be free from God. They're wanting to remove this yoke of God and be their own people, be their own rulers, to be their own leaders. And something also just to mention about this psalm, it's this psalm is mentioned, according to what I read, was mentioned, uh, quoted, or referred to more out of any of the other psalms in the New Testament. And you already get a taste of that here in verse 2, right? The anointed, the Lord's anointed. Now, specifically, he's speaking of Israel's king, possibly King David. But here it has a farther-reaching view and that is Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. In John 1 41, it says, He, Andrew, found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ, the Anointed One. We have found him. So these leaders, they're devising a vain thing. Why is it vain? Why? Because anything devised against God is vain, right? You might as well scratch that plan. You might as well scratch that idea. It's against God. It's vain. It's fruitless. It's purposeless. No matter how much, I mean, these are the leaders of these nations, of the world. I mean, you you read about Israel going into the land of Canaan. You have all these different tribes, these different uh, people groups, these different rulers And as long as they're going against God, it's a vain thing. And we have to ask, is freedom from God, they're wanting freedom, right? Tear these cords from, remove this yoke from us. Will that grant them freedom? As though there's freedom from God equals freedom. When in reality... Freedom from God is enslavement to another master, isn't it? An enslavement to sin and an enslavement to the ruler of this world is not freedom. So here we just find in, at the beginning of this psalm just the reality that kings and nations are going to fight against God. That was the case here. In the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, it's the case we'll find. We'll find uh, verses from this psalm quoted in Acts, in Acts 4. We're going to see that was the case for the early church, and it's no different today. Kings and nations fight against God, and we need to remember as believers it's a vain thing. It's a vain proposition. I mean, right there's an encouragement, right, to stay on the right path. It's vain. I mean, he just starts right out and tells us it's vain. It's fruitless. So nations and peoples, they fight against God. And then in verses 4 and 9, we see, though, that God's kingdom cannot be stopped. Verse 4, he says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. Notice God's position here in the heavens. Where are the kings? Where are the nations? They're on earth. Where at? Where's the nation of the United States of America? It doesn't even cover the whole earth, does it? It doesn't even cover an entire continent. I mean, we're in one small location on planet earth. And here God dwells in the heavens, and we're going to devise something against this God. Just the perspective. He dwells in the heavens. Isaiah 66.1 says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. So God's position here, he sits in the heavens, and what's he do? He laughs. (laughs) He laughs at them. He sees these little nations, these people and these leaders who think they have all this power and authority and all that they're devising and planning and seeking to do anything except to come under his rule and his authority to serve him. And he laughs. He scoffs at them. When I was thinking about this, I mean, just something that came to my mind is um, an individual that bigger than you, stronger than you, maybe when you're younger, could have been a big brother or something like that, but they're picking on you, wrestling, they hold you down to the ground, and you're just furious, you're angry, and they're just sitting on top of you laughing. Why? Because they know you can't do anything. They know you can't win. They know they've already won, and they will win no matter what. But here God is, I mean, he's in con- complete control. He's not up there fretting. He's not up there anxious. He's not up there worrying about the plans that he has made. He sees this, he laughs, and it even says the Lord scoffs at them. Psalm 37, 12 and 13 says, The wicked plot against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. Proverbs 3.34, though he scoffs at the scoffers, he gives grace to the afflicted. I mean, there, one, is a warning for us. I mean, to take serious the word of God, not to scoff at God, at his word. He scoffs at the scoffers, yet he will give grace to the afflicted. And James 4 talks about how he gives grace to to the humble, to the proud. He rejects, but to the humble. He gives grace. So he sits in the heavens, he laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Verse 5, then he will speak to them in his anger. It's always a different story when God speaks, isn't it? I mean, it's always a different story when... People are talking, and they're talking about how big they are, how powerful they are, how great they are, or all these things they're going to do um, despite God and all these things. And then it's a completely different thing when God shows up and speaks. I mean, it quickly changes a person's attitude, doesn't it? It quickly changes their arrogance, their their pride. And And here it says that... When he speaks, it will be to them in his anger, or to them in in his anger, and terrify them in his fury. It will terrify them. No more are there the kings, the leaders, the nations, thinking that they can do things their own way. Thinking that they can take or leave the word of truth. Thinking they can take or leave God and his directives and be okay. And what's he say? But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. What good does all their devising and planning do? Does it at all hinder God from accomplishing his purposes? He says, You know, I've installed my king. <laughs> I've done a what is all of this done to prevent me from accomplishing my plan, my purposes. And we see that as we we would come to the New Testament, we see here's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it would look as though they won. Here he is, 33 years old, only been out public ministry three years. And we find him on the cross, crucified. But what's he do? He raises him from the dead. He installs his king. And then in verses 7 through 9, it changes from God speaking to the anointed one speaking. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord, he says. And and here's where our encouragement comes from. It's from the word of God, isn't it? I will tell you the decree of the Lord. How many of the promises of God fell? There's not one of the promises that fell. Turn to Isaiah 55. Kind of a common passage of scripture here. Good for us to be reminded of tonight, Isaiah 55, let's read verses 10 and 11, one we go back to verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, declares the Lord, nor are your ways my ways, excuse me, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and make it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth, It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent. It will accomplish all that he designed it to accomplish. Just as the rain comes, waters accomplishes what it was given to do, so his word will accomplish what he has given it to do. And so our foundation is right there built upon the word of God. Here we have the anointed one saying, I'll tell you the decree of the Lord. The nations, they devise these vain things. They tell us all these things, all their plans and, and all these things. But all we have to tell them is the decree of the Lord. We stand on the word of the Lord. Well, what's he say? What's the decree of the Lord? He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This would be the coronation of the king here. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. I will surely give the nations as your, as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. so the son the anointed one here the king he's been established by god and here where he he mentions that he is today he says i have been begotten by you today i have been begotten by god it's interesting in acts 13:32 to 33 this reference to christ and the day that he was begotten by god was the day of his resurrection it says this in verses 32 and 33 of Acts 13, and we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, and that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. See, sonship, the sonship of Christ was vindicated and made evident by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm, or excuse me, Romans 1, 4 says, who, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. And what an encouragement for us to go from this Psalm 2, we see these nations devising a vain thing against God here in Psalm 2, to go to the New Testament, and of course we, the nations devising a vain thing against God. And what God do? He's anointed his king, declared him, King saying, today you are my son, today I have begotten you. His declaration that he is accomplishing his plans today for us, for his kingdom. Well, the son, he rules, he will rule and it says he will break them, the nations, with the rod of iron, he'll shatter them like earthenware. And let's go ahead and look in verses 10 through 12 to see the only right response then to this reality, to these truths, and that is to worship God. And it's amazing as we come to these verses here, I mean, from what's been said in regards to these nations, in God's response to them, that He's going to come to them, speak with them in His anger, terrify them in His fury. I mean, just think about it, how God is going to come to them. He offers them mercy. He offers them grace here. He offers them repentance. He offers them still to come and be part of His kingdom. To avoid what he has spoken of previous, of this judgment, of this utter destruction. I mean, break them like earthenware. Just, just destroy them. Yeah. And he offers them mercy. He offers them grace. Verse 10, now therefore, and we would expect, sir, I would maybe, to, to hear judgment. But he says, now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. What are they to do then? Do homage to the Son. Do homage to the Son. Kiss the Son. Come and bow to Him and kiss the Son. And bring yourself under submission to the real King of kings. To the Son of God. Why? So that He not become angry and you perish in the way. And that's a real warning, isn't it? I mean, as we read a revelation of the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of the Son, where those in the sixth seal they say to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? I mean, it is a real judgment here to seek deliverance from. And you find it by coming to the Son. And notice the further motivation there for his wrath, May soon be kindled. There's an earnestness here, isn't there? I mean, don't delay. His wrath may soon be kindled. It could soon break forth. We don't know the time of his wrath being kindled, but it could be today, it could be this moment. And then he ends here with what is the path of true blessing. He says, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it. And is safe. Philip Doddridge, in a hymn, And Will the Judge Descend?, has a line that reads this Ye sinners, seek his grace, whose wrath you cannot bear. Fly to the shelter of his cross and find salvation there. I mean, what grace, what mercy. Here, the very one who is, has every right to judge. To condemn is patient that he might offer grace and mercy to those who would come and do homage to the son. And there is refuge. There is safety, isn't there, for all who would come. They would find shelter. So these are just a few truths here from this Psalm 2 that should encourage us, that should help us to lift our eyes above the political landscape of today, uh, of just the, the cesspool of, of sewage that's out there, and to find some hope, to find some encouragement, that, that truly God's plan is exactly, it's, it's his plan that is continuing on. It is not being thwarted in any way and all the nations, and they're devising and plotting and doing all these, these things. It truly is a vain thing. And I just want to give one final encouragement to us. If you'll turn to Acts. One final encouragement for us that we'll find from the early church here in Acts chapter. And the context goes back to Acts chapter three. Peter and John, they heal the lame beggar, and then in chapter four, because of the the news coming to the leaders, they take Peter and John, they put them into jail. They scold them, tell them, you know, not to go on teaching these things about Christ. And then let's pick up in verse 23. It says, When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, and so just thinking along along the lines of, you know, how should we as believers respond? How should we as, as Christians uh, responds to the nation, to the world around us. Uh, what should our prayers look like? Well, let's read this, and I just want to point out four things from this from this prayer. They said this, "O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth, and the sea, and that is all that is in them." So first here, notice there's a recognition of God's power and authority. And then in verse 25, Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So notice here, they go back to the word of God. Second thing here, We need to hold fast to God's word and his promises in the midst of hard times. And then let's continue reading in verse 27. He says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, there's that word anointed, it's on Psalm 2, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, notice there's the leaders devising a vain thing, along with the Gentiles there's the nations and the peoples of Israel, Verse 28 to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. (laughs) So, thirdly, we also need to have the recognition that nations and people fighting against God does not in any way hinder God's plans. And then let's go on reading in verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place to the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with all boldness. So the fourth thing here about their prayer is that um, and even for us to pray that God would grant that your bond servants may speak your word with confidence, with confidence. I mean, we really feel it, don't we? It's, it's a day and time when more and more it's uh, Christians are to be ostracized for truth. And oh, how we need this. God grants that your servants may speak your truth with confidence.
2: Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. America is not excluded from that bucket. We're just a drop. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. He it is, God it is, who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither. So, what seems so big to us is speck to God after the resurrection Jesus said all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth but then there's something for us in that go therefore and make disciples of all nations Well, may God help us to have His perspective as it's given to us in His Word. Let us be dismissed.